Welcome to Musicians vs. the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am your host, Christine Smith. Today, we are talking with award-winning composer Sherry Chung. Sherry has been recognized internationally as a trailblazing composer for film and television. Her music transcends genre and fuses inspirations, both traditional and emerging, in support of filmmakers' visions worldwide. She has composed scores for shows including Riverdale, Blindspot, and The Red Line. She is currently composing for HBO Max's animated series Gremlins, Secrets of the Mogwai, and most recently, Peacock's Based on a True Story, the upcoming Netflix feature film Happiness for Beginners, and NBC's Found, airing this fall. Not only a composer, Sherry is also a pianist, vocalist, performer, and songwriter. An active member of the film music industry, Sherry also serves as governor of the music branch of the Television Academy. So Sherry Chung, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Musicians vs. the World. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here, Christine. Uh, You know, I am so excited to chat with you. And a big reason is I was reading one of the interviews that you did and It said that one of your favorite films when you were 12 or 13 was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And I read that and I thought, oh, I'm going to like her. That score, (laughs) yeah. Michael Kamen's score was like the thing that made me want to to, to go into film and and television music. So that was that was the pivotal, the pivotal one. Isn't that funny how just like one thing can just kind of change the direction of your life? It's it it really is. It was was kind of I mean, I had seen movies before, but it was really the one that the, the score that I kind of realized was like, what? what? I just I just hadn't heard that kind of storytelling in, in that way. Um, and it was just so moving and so, uh, you know, effective. Um, and that probably, I guess, with the movie as well, as well, just really moved me. So yeah, it's, it's, it's so true. It's like that one thing changed yeah. the course of everything, I guess. Now you were a pianist before that. You were a musician already, but that's not what you wanted to be doing for your life at that point. I mean, I did actually, but I had, I had around that same time. So I'm a classically trained pianist. So I think that you know, like whenever whenever you're a musician and you're studying music, especially classical music, you're always aware of your composers. You always you're always aware that there is a job or an occupation that you know is is a composer because you're always playing new music and it's always written up there. But I think at the time, I, for sure, when I was younger, I I, I was like, well, I want to do I want to be like a classical performer. You know, what, what else would I be doing? And I loved to practice. It wasn't difficult for me. And I say that humbly, by the way, because I, I will say that when I was younger, I was, I was very talented. But then I describe mm-hmm. like my age caught up with my talent, you know? And so by the time I'm in like high school <laughs> going to college, I'm not as impressive anymore because, you know, it's just like people. So I say that with all humility, that it, piano was, was definitely my thing. I bonded with it. I was good at it. I went, once, I, once I sort of realized, like, like, yeah, performing in that classical way is not for me. I had done play, played in lots of bands. I was accompanying for choirs, accompanying in, in pit orchestras for music theater. So I knew that, you know, performing of a certain way was definitely my jam. Um, but I had also started mm-hmm. to be, you know, to get a lot more creative um, and started to write things. And I was like, yeah, that really, that really matters. Plus, you know, it didn't help that I had like a really bad <laughs> performance experience one time, like a classical performance experience. I was like, you know oh. what, this isn't, this isn't something I want to put myself through. But I mean, no, it was fine because yeah. it was about that same time that I heard Michael Kamen's score. So yeah, so I was already a musician knowing I wanted to do something in music, but not quite knowing exactly what, which you don't really have to know at 12 or 13. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at 30 or 40, sometimes people are still trying to figure out what to do with their That's music. Okay. To be honest. <laughs> Absolutely. It is. 
<laughs> so now when you went to school, you went for composition. You did not go for piano performance or jazz or anything. You did, you knew you wanted to be a composer by that. Yeah, point. I did. I did the very formal training, you know, because again, at that age when I was like, Mom, Pa, I want to do this. And they're like, well, that's cute. What, what's that? You know, what's film scoring? What's what is that? And um, and, you know, it was it just it was one of those things where it's like I couldn't have been maybe not geographically, but I couldn't have been further from being able to get into that field. we And the internet wasn't then what it is now. And there was no Google search or YouTube videos or online courses or right. anything. And so, you know, figuring out how to do it or, or how to get into it became a journey, you know, unto itself. Um, but I definitely went through, I would def I knew I was like, yep, I'm doing film composing. Um, and I applied to several schools. There were not that many programs then that were offering courses or or curriculum you know let alone degrees in film scoring um berkeley in boston was certainly one of them and unfortunately I, I i did get in well fortunately i did get in but unfortunately um for financial reasons i couldn't go so i decided to go what well, that's right. okay i'm gonna go to this school and i'm gonna do composition and theory so they did not have a film music program they were dabbling little music technology courses at the time so, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was, it was like, I knew what I wanted to do. So I'm like, I'm going to go this like formal stuffy <laughs> route. It's kind of the only thing I knew. And, um, and, and I'm, and I'm glad that I did. I mean, I think it worked out. And then I did eventually go to graduate school out here in Los Angeles, um, at university of Southern California for their kind of prestigious, uh, film scoring degree. So that was, yeah, that was my, that was my path. <laughs> do you feel like that traditional, do you find like the classical and all of the theory background helps you as you're composing now? Or do you feel like music's changed so much that you don't use that very much? No, hundred percent. I feel like that is exactly the right path for me. And when people ask me like, what's your advice for people getting into it? Education is not certainly not the only way, like a formal education is certainly not the only way. There's lots of successful, wonderful composers that, that just don't go that route. Um, but I strongly advise it because I, I I think of myself first and foremost as a composer. Like I'm first a composer and then I'm a film composer. And that's the way I see it for for basically what it is. Like, like, like I'm not going to say that I'm going to speak for everybody, but that to me is what it is. I feel like that being a film and television composer is a craft unto itself. It's a tiny little niche of a, of, of a, of a profession. And, and to me, I'm drawing upon the foundation of music, right? And the, the foundation of, of theory and and voice leading. And your question is really interesting because music in film and television has absolutely changed. You know, obviously, yes, we all know John Williams, we all love his scores, and all of you know Jerry Goldsmith, Alan Sylvester, Danny Elfman, all of these people that that their music is pretty solid on paper. You know, it's pretty solid on paper, which is right. not something that everybody learns. And there's many scores that don't need that kind of, they don't need that big orchestral sound. They just, they meet, maybe need some synths or some hybrid or just some things that don't have to be so musically layered or complex in, in, in a theoretical way. Um, so you're right about that. But I still think for me, I'm drawing upon all of those good, that good foundation. Because also it works, orchestration for me also works sonically. So when you're doing something that's even synth-based, mm -hmm. you have like, you know, if, if something gets too muddy in the bottom, that's the same thing as like an orchestration. You've got too many things on the bass. We've got too many rhythms. So to me, it's like the same thing. It's like, why does it sound like crap? Oh, yeah, because my frequencies are all muddied up. And so to me, all of that is orchestration. Right. And it's all, you know, again, foundation that started in, in that formal training. Mm -hmm. And it trains your ear as well. So you can see you're like, OK, I do know why this is muddy because your ear has yeah. been trained and, and frankly, too. With bigger orchestral stuff is something that I love to do. So 
I don't know whether it's like chicken egg where it's like I learned it and therefore I, I really like to do it or I really love doing it and I and good thing I learned it, you know, it, so, so, you know, that and that's not for everybody. So some people don't feel like, no, nah, I don't want to do that kind of stuff, you know, and there are certain yeah. types of scores that I'm not going to be called for and I'm not going to go after either. So it's it, again, it doesn't have to be for everybody, but I think you're right. It's it trained. It's trained my ear. It's trained um, my approach to writing, you know, and in certain ways, my approach to to how I would write for a scene as well. Mm -hmm. Now, when you were in school, uh, did you gravitate more towards the tonal sort of sound or were you more kind of atonal, more experimental training when you were learning composition? I mean, we certainly had that tree. We had the atonal. We had that. We had that stuff. But I have to tell you, to yeah. me, it was very difficult to listen to. I I was not I was not yeah. bored enough with <laughs> with tonal music to really want to hear I mean, yeah. I mean honestly I mean I think it's great because it's, it, a lot of it comes about because of you know curiosity and and figuring out you know I already yeah. kind of already know this how can we do it differently so no I was definitely not as much of an experimental person I think I think the most experimental I got really was was when I got to working with student films once I got to graduate school when I was like oh yeah I now I just felt like Oh, I've explored not everything, but I've certainly explored enough where I'm like, I'm really curious or visually I'm really inspired by this thing. I wonder if I could be a bit more experimental and and, and broaden my own, you know, comfort zone. Yeah. But in underground law, I was like, yeah. well, and it's academia and it's got to be like this <laughs> and it's, and I, you know, all of those things. Exactly. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was just, I was just wondering that because I have heard lately a little bit more uh, experimentation in music, in film scores. And so I didn't know if you were kind of like leaning into that or if you liked the more lush sort of and I think I think now I am like in terms of the, the projects that I'm being asked to, 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 to go for and the projects that I'm being, you know, fortunate enough to, yeah. to get. And some of them certainly are, you know, grounded in, in much more sort of this muscular orchestral writing. And some of them are just like, no, we really want to, you know, we're going to mess it up, like messy it up kind of, you know. So, so it's, I mean, I, I'm kind of inspired by all of it, but in, I, I would say I, I gravitate more towards, I mean, to be honest, I, I kind of gravitate towards projects that are sort of left of center, which isn't to say that my music would be a little bit left of center, but the projects themselves, I do think are, um, I'm a little more curious about those ones that kind of need the score to be something a little different or, or play something a little bit differently than than something that's that's more straightforward yeah i like how you're how you're describing this about how uh the the visual really guides you and the visual really like can guide you to go somewhere or to be more experimental than you would just listening to something you might enjoy listening to something when it's paired with a with a visual than maybe just sitting and listening to it do you want to kind of expand a little bit on that like what is it about the visuals that makes you decide to go in another direction yeah i i mean i, I wonder if it's that if it's that case with like a lot of people i mean this is kind of one of the, one of the reasons that we as audience members will watch a television show or a movie and why we get moved and and why all those things when we see something and then we hear something and we're like, oh yeah, I can relate to that, or that's profound, or something. I mean, I feel like I feel like in those moments, I feel almost like a pure audience member when I'm when I'm working on a project for the first time, or or even in cases where it's a lot earlier, I don't have the project yet, you know. And sometimes I I have to read scripts, and I I don't particularly like to read. So so read so reading scripts <laughs> like I mean I can read, but, but I don't I, for some reason I don't I don't get as much enjoyment out. <laughs> out of reading something and then certainly when it comes to scripts it always looks right this way in my head and then I you know and then yeah. if I start to work on the project or I see 
I'm like, oh, it's just, let's throw all those ideas out because it looks completely different. I, I do, I do uh, think that I'm, I, I mean, I think just just naturally visually stimulated in that way. And I, when, I, when I see a picture and I see a project, and again, for for reasons of, of of wanting to work on it. I mean, I I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I if I were to go out and take and take a hike, you know, w- would I hear music playing in my head all the time? I don't know. You know, I, I don't I don't think it's always like that. I don't think it's like, yes, there's always a score, you know, there's an orchestra behind me all the time. It's but it, but simply <laughs> when it comes <laughs> I love it. I yeah. I think there should always be like a tuba or a trombone following me or something. <laughs> <laughs> or an accordion, at least an accordion. An accordion. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I just I, I I'm just I'm visually informed for, and, and not just visually, but I mean not only just image but color as well because even when working right. with animation before sometimes i've i've not gotten it's it's either been an animatic form so there's no color at all it's just like moving sketches we're in various stages between that and like fully finished you know co- coloring and and color timing and all of those things and it, it's it can be so different it can be so different and it's and which isn't to say that like, oh, I have no ideas. It's my ideas are just differently informed. So like when, and, and, and oftentimes they'll say, hey, I'll ask, can you send me the mood board? Can you send me the color, the color board? Can you send me the costume so I can see what the characters are wearing and the colors that we're going for? And and in the case of Gremlins, Secrets of the Mongway, it was, it was, it was visually a lot kind of darker. Like, like it was just, I mean, yes. to- well, tonally, story-wise, it's pretty, it's pretty dark show. I mean, it's great show. It's, it's great, but it goes pretty dark. But in terms of like hues right. and colors, it was darker than I had originally thought it was. I thought it was, oh, I'm just going to be like happy, whatever, and bright colors. And it's not, it's not, it's very colorful right. and not bright hues. So all of that to me just really informs, you know, again, how does that translate to, to instruments? I mean, I don't, it's all subjective, right? So it's like, oh, for me, a darker tone might mean some, or sorry, a darker color tone might mean a darker, deeper tone in, in, in the orchestra. But in other cases, I've gone like opposite and gone really, really high, something that's, you know, much more tinny and much more thin, okay. which, uh, you know, I don't know. It just, it, it just kind of depends on, it also depends what's going on in the picture, but, um, yeah, I'm sure. It's very informative. Uh, and I just, I get all kinds of ideas and, you know, can throw out those ideas because you know, that doesn't, that's not going to work as well. Yeah. That is interesting. I was actually hoping that we could talk a little bit about gremlins because that, is was iconic films, absolutely iconic films, and people know the music and they know it's good. They know the story really, really well. And now you're taking that, animating it, taking it to another part of the world, and it's like this epic adventure. And it's not just in a small town or in New York. It's like somewhere completely else. How did you how did you approach that and honor the original source material, but at the same time do something new? How did you do that? Yeah, there was no pressure whatsoever. To- <laughs> To follow in this footsteps, but the, honestly, Z Chun, who is the creator of, of of this animated prequel to the movies, gave me that permission. He actually said, "Of course, I know the movies." Joe Dante is one of the consulting producers on the show, you know, and of course, I know the movies, and of course, we all know what the audience maybe wants or feels. But but we are so we we do want to pay homage. We do want to tap into some of that. We want to use some of Jerry's work. Um, even for them in, in the writing of it, we want to definitely stick with certain, you know, legend and myth. Sorry, there's a helicopter going by. I don't know if that's coming through or not. Um, but we do, we are doing our own thing. This is a prequel. This is meant to set things up. This is not meant to be a continuation of what we already know. This is meant to kind of deliver us into 
the world that that um, Joe Dante and all of them did. So, so because of that permission, it was it was kind of like oh, okay, cool, I get that permission with the music as well. And they wanted it very dramatic. Okay. Um, they wanted to lean into the emotion. And at first, I thought the emotion was, you know, the heartfelt moments. Sam and his family, Gizmo and the friends and L and all that. Um, but they actually meant also all of the other emotions of the, the of the horror, of the fear, of the adventure, of yeah. Sam's struggle to do the right thing. I mean, there's even there's psychological torture in this thing. You know what I'm saying with Riley Green? I mean, it's it goes pretty full throated in into this. But I also kind of realized that that's the Amblin way. Like that's the Amblin. You know, that's that's what all those movies did. And that's why I think a lot of us who grew up in them or those of us who are still, who will still watch them, were so moved by it because, you know, it's really immersive. So to get back to your question, I mean, all of those things were things that I thought in, in my head, a lot of it was, I was given permission. I was asked the assignment, if you will, was definitely there are places where you want to use Goldsmith. Um, and then there's definitely places where we, we, it's not that we don't want to hear that, but we but we want it to be its own thing. You know, the mm-hmm. only two the only two things that I've used of Jerry's Jerry Goldsmith's was um, the Gremlin Rag, which they wanted uh, they wanted an arrangement for the main title and end credits, which was super fun to do. Um, so that's like verbatim yeah. what he wrote. Um, I just did an arrangement with different different instrumentation, and then Gizmo's Lullaby. You know, and so there's a lot of times where Gizmo. And then the other, some of the other actors and characters will sing. Some of the other Mogwai will sing that song throughout the, the the season, and kind of in those moments, that's when I also put it in the score and in the orchestra. But for the most part, it really truly is, you know, something that I was trying to, I guess, stay in the same vein, but you know, different melodies, different ways of doing it. And um, I mean, we did actually have a conversation about. Do we make this an 80 cent thing? Is this, you know, I mean, which his first, which yeah. the first movie really was. And we all kind of agreed that that didn't really make sense here, that 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 wasn't going to be the right feel that was going to carry on the carry the uh, the emotion and the adventure of what was of what they had had, had in store for the stories. Um, another big thing that I, I can't believe I didn't start with this one, but another big thing was because it's in Shanghai, because we're in 1920s, not even so much the 1920s part, but the 1920s part was more visual for them and more story-wise for them. But the the Shanghai thing was they, they really wanted a presence of Chinese music. They really wanted that to be there. So there's there's even some diegetic things that I was also doing. So things that were like coming from the streets and coming from the circus that they wanted the Asian influence. They wanted the Chinese. They wanted they wanted it to, to be, you know, as 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 authentic as made sense for the for the moment, which is a really so so I did use an airhu. Uh, well, I didn't play. I, I use a wonderful player named Karen Han. She's like the air who player. Um, I started this project during pandemic. So we actually did a couple of Zoom lessons, which and by Zoom lessons, she was teaching me how to write and how not to write, you know, basically for the air. Just oh. saying, here's the range. Here's the agility. Here is what the instrument can do. Here's some, you know, here's some works that she's performed. And she's even said, go look at other air players because what you need to know about air is that it, these are performances. These are not takes. Let's do another take. It's like, this is a, this is a performance. And oftentimes it, the instrument is so much felt. I absolutely wrote for it. But in terms of even dynamics or how she might want to shape a phrase, yes, we, we're doing it to picture. So yes, she she's very familiar with playing to click, playing to something that's very steady, you know, track, if you will. But even then her where she chose to embellish 
notes or do little turns or do little, you know, trills or something was always just something that was felt. I would never write any of those things in there for her because oh. she she probably ignored them anyway. She just do what she would, you know. Would. <laughs> um, so that and some 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 Chinese flutes and then some Chinese percussion as well. Um, and again, it was it's largely a fully orchestral, more grounded in like Western. Um, um, harmonies and, and you know scales and that kind of thing. Yeah, but with that influence um, in it, it as I well. See. Yeah. switch gears just a little bit. I'm really interested in your work with uh, the Television Academy and the Music Peer Group. Can you explain a little bit about what that is and what your role is in that organization? Yes. So a lot of people have heard of the Emmys. A lot of some people haven't necessarily heard that the Emmys isn't just an organization. It actually belongs to the Television Academy. Um, And just, just to give provide a little bit of perspective, the Grammys comes from the Recording Academy. And the Oscar comes from Motion Picture Academies. And so back to the Emmys, it comes from the Television Academy. So the Television Academy has, uh, I believe, 32 different branches. And those branches are basically covering the different um, professions in our television industry. So um, you'll, you'll have picture editors, you'll have sound editors, you'll have actors, producers, directors, documentary. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm missing a bunch. And then, and then you do have music. And music falls under... You know, this it's kind of a large thing. And within the music branch, we have composers who are scoring for for picture, which and again, we're talking specifically about television here, so television. But then you also have music supervisors that work in television. You have music directors, um, and then you also have uh, uh, songwriters, songwriters, lyricists, that kind of thing. So, so all all of those different professions um, are just all into one one group, and, and that's the music branch. And I, gosh, I think we have maybe six hundred members or something like that. It just just wow. in the music branch. So there's there's quite a few of us, and it's growing. It's it's a number is growing all the time. And I actually could be wrong about that. There might we might actually have a few more numbers in that. I just I haven't looked lately, and it, it does change. But each peer group, each branch is is sort of led, if you will, by two governors and a peer group executive committee. Okay. And that so it's like a group of peers that will just come together, and so we'll all sit around and we'll talk about Emmy rules, or we talk about suggestions for the for for applying, you know for the Emmys, that, that sort of process. And all this is taken to the governors and the governors. So I have a co-governor. And then we go into board meetings and and um, and, and we discuss these things and we talk about, we, we vote on on all kinds of things. And and the, I mean, it's not, and it's not just about the Emmys too. I mean, there's a, there's a great outreach program. There's a lot of um, DEI programs and um, there's an intern program. There's all kinds of things, ways that it's giving back to the community, ways that we're trying to bring up newer professionals um, as well as supporting the professionals that are already there, so it's a little bit of a political position, which just kind of surprised me to go because I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I, I'm very opinionated, <laughs> but and I can be diplomatic, <laughs> but I wouldn't call myself political person in by any stretch. But a lot of this really is, it's definitely a service. It's it's definitely a a, a 
you know, volunteer position. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I'm, I'm actually proud to say that I'm, I'm the first female governor of the music branch, not the first female governor. There's, there's actually been many female governors, but it's specifically of the music branch. Wow. And so that's kind of, I guess, a little bit. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of cool. I mean, I, it's something like, I don't, I don't make of it, but it, but it's cool. There's, we're, yeah. we're, we're turning the ship, you know, it's all good. Um, but a lot of it is just, again, it's just representing, you know, just being supportive and hearing people's concerns, putting your ear to the ground, listening to what our peer group wants for our organization, and then figuring out ways to, to help us incorporate those or, you know, better, you know, design certain things. And there's also kind of, there's mixers and everything where we'll try to get composers mixed in with picture editors or music supervisors or those, those kinds of things as well. So trying to help our members, help our composers and songwriters and music directors wow. and all that. And it's volunteer, huh? And it's volunteer. It's a lot of work. <laughs> That's, I was just thinking. Especially around Emmy season, but, um, but it's, but it's, it's really cool. And it's, 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 um, it's fascinating. And I actually feel great about it because I've been, I've been here long enough where I have a lot of composer friends. And so a lot of them, I feel as though they can reach out to me with concerns or questions or be like, you know, and they, and I've just heard a lot of great feedback. Like, Hey, we're so happy to have you in, you know, in one of those seats because, you know, you're, you're, you're doing it. Like, I, I feel relevant. I feel, um, you know, of, of what's happening. I feel like grounded in, in what the industry kind of is. And, you know, and it's great when people reach out and, Give me their opinions, yeah. you know, good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> opinions are are helpful. So there's there's education, there's mixers, there's, um, and then of course there's the Emmys, and and you're helping get all of this happening and all this rolling and running smoothly. So how does someone get involved in this organization in the Television Academy? Do they have to have television credits and then they're invited in, or is this something they apply to? What's kind of the process of someone joining? Yes, you you need a certain number of credits and type of credits and then you can apply and then it's reviewed by the and, and, and there's there's an amazing staff with a full-time staff at the academy that are just um I, I want it to be known that the governors are incredibly supported and we are doing in some ways nothing compared to what <laughs> what the full-time staff is doing but yeah if somebody wants to be involved somebody wants to be a member and you're and you're a working composer or as all the other professions that I mentioned, um, you can certainly go online and you can see what the what the criteria is. And it's different for each peer group, for each branch, it's different for each profession because the requirements would just naturally be different because the jobs are naturally different. But in music, it's the you know it's a certain t- uh, number of credits or amount of credits, and you submit those that cue sheet. You submit your uh, your application and it's reviewed and and you know we're we're always trying to get, keep membership up. So it's not what I would call. Um, it's not some sort of elitist, <laughs> you know, and there's also different tiers of membership and you can actually be, if you're a full member, then you're also considered a voting member. And then you can vote on the Emmys and you can vote for, for you know, that kind yeah. of thing. But um, if you, there's also an associate status where you're a member, but you don't have quite enough credits, mm-hmm. but you have some credits, not quite enough. And then you can, um, so you can still be a part of it and you can still have access to the benefits and, and any of the mixers or any of the workshops or, or seminars, like that kind of thing. It's very welcoming. Like we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to be, you know, snooty about, about it. <laughs> well, that's good. So you said that around Emmy season is when it gets really, really busy and we're kind of in the, it's a weird Emmy season this year, but like, what are some of the things that usually happen that keep you busy around Emmy time? Yeah, there's a lot of reviewing of submissions. There's more and more, sub- understandably, there's more and more submissions each year just because there's just more and more right. television shows. 
you know, I'm I'm curious if in the Oscars in the Motion Picture Academy, I'm curious if the if those numbers have have remained sort of steady because because even in the streaming world, you know, any any film that didn't get released in the theater is actually eligible in the Emmys as a, oh, as uh, as a separate category of um, I think it's it's limited series or special. So special okay. would be a movie special. So it didn't it wasn't in the theater, which means it's now eligible for. I, mean, I don't know for the for the Motion Picture Academy. I don't know what the criteria is, but all this to say, more and more and more every year, there are just a ton of, of yeah. more applications. And so, the governors do not review the all of the applications. Again, that's done by the incredible staff of the academy. But every now and then, there's just a couple of outliers and things that say, "Gosh, we're not really sure. This is kind of on the line or on the cusp of whatever our rules or regulations are." And then it goes immediately to the governors and the governors make that decision based on, again, knowing the profession, knowing the industry, knowing, you know, what what it takes to do our jobs. And so sometimes we have to review that. We're also reviewing applications just to, for membership during that same time. And and the governors are also, as a collective and the staff, are responsible for, for planning the Emmys, which is just really done all year, all year round. And mm-hmm. so there's, you know, and we, we even have like an AI task force now. And that's what the, we're now like jumping into figuring out where the academy stands and how can we help our membership and how can we get clarity for ourselves? And how can we educate ourselves? So again, it's always changing with the times and governors are always a part of those discussions and um, involved in that. So during Emmy season and not, it's it's just, it's kind of always a rotating, yeah. you know, body of work that we're just, we're, we're constantly doing, but. Yeah. So how does this work? So then everyone submits music for their scores for these Emmys and then it's reviewed and then a certain number are nominated and then that goes out to the voting public. No, the voting, voting begins with without all the submissions. So so Oh, really? Uh, the individual peer groups will vote on their branch. So all of the music nominations come from the music peer group. Okay. Only. Then when they're nominated that then goes out to all of the branches. So anyone who's a member of the academy, whether you're a picture editor or a music or part of the music branch, you can vote on music. We can all vote on best director, out, you know, out, not best. Sorry, we say outstanding, outstanding director, <laughs> outstanding comedy, outstanding actor or actress. You know, so the entire academy will vote on all of the categories um, when it comes to win. But in terms of the nominations, that comes from the peer group. Right. Okay. Okay. And as governor, do you kind of step back and say, okay, I'm not submitting anything for Emmys? Because would that be weird? Or do you get nominated while you're still governor at the same time? No, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, no. It, no there's, it, there's never a, a conflict. I mean, if there's a conflict, I, I mean, you, you, you can vote for yourself. <laughs> you know, you can totally vote for yourself. And you know what? You should vote for you yourself. You should, yes. <laughs> I don't, I, I, the dog, I, the dog I have in that fight is just, is my own project, but it's, you know, it's, I, I have no sway or say, I have no power, okay. really. <laughs> Governors really have no power. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So, um, so where do you see, uh, the Academy going for music. I know you said there's lots of things going on with AI and there's lots of changes always in the industry. Where, what direction would you like to go? Do you have something that you're focusing on that you really want to see improvement? Yeah, I I really value the integrity of the Emmys itself and, and the Academy. And it would kind of be my goal to sort of continue maintaining that high standard. Um, I do think that sometimes naturally when we get more and more content we have more and more 
um, voices that are that are just a different approach. And that's wonderful. There's no but to that. I think in addition to that, what what you also get is you just there's a lot. There's a lot. And and some of it's really great and some of it's not as great and some of it and so I would like to maintain, help maintain the the integrity of the award and, and what we value in our industry. And that's, again, that's incredibly subjective and I can't control that. But the, but some of the ways that I would like to see the Academy having that sort of resource of like, what do we value as an Academy? What do we, in terms of our standards of work? And so, and, and starting with my, with my own peer group, I'm not going to speak for the other peer groups with music. It's like, what do we value? What are our standards? And, and so I'm working with the you know, the music supervisors and the songwriters and lyricists and the music directors and getting them to say like, hey, guys, what do you value in your profession? How should we be voting? How should we be judging your work or listening to your work or reviewing your work? You know, what do you value in your work? And so I think there's ways to do that and just have people just sort of speaking up. And again, maybe if it's in an informal way, but I think that's important because it, it I really don't know how to judge music supervision. I, I don't know how to tell what their work creatively was on screen. And so so we engage in conversation and they talk about, oh, well, this show, we did this X, Y, Z. So it's, you know, just again, maintaining our standards and maintaining and maybe even elevating what our industry values in terms of outstanding work. And that that's certainly something. And then with the AI stuff, I, oof, man, I would like to get to a place where we're not all just scared about it, you know? And I'm still nervous about it because I think a lot of us are still nervous about it because we just don't know what does it mean? Do we lose jobs? Do we lose right. integrity? Do we lose standards? All of those things. We all have the questions across every profession. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of proud and like honored to be on that forefront. But many people will come after me and, and continue the journey of exploring of what that is. But that's something that I'm, um, I don't know if excited is the right word, but I'm definitely enthusiastic to be a part of that because I actually also believe that our film and television industry isn't always about awards right but let's face it they can mean something for a studio or for a network or for an actor or yes. for a musician it, it, it we value this hardware yes we value it so it creates standards in how productions are are made or you know projects are made and so i do think it's interesting that wherever the recording academy lands where which they have landed they've taken a pretty hard stance on mm -hmm. how they feel about the about ai wherever the motion picture academy lands wherever we the television academy land wherever we land in terms of how we want to place value on ai and therefore allow ai i do think that that starts to set can set a standard to how studios proceed yeah well if this work is not going to be accepted into, you know, for this reason, because it has, I, and I, I don't know, I, I don't know any of these, what, what the rules are. Right. But if it's not going to be accepted for that reason, then we might have to not use AI in this way because then this won't be eligible. You know, so, a, and again, I'm, I, I also want to be really clear and go on record by saying I'm not speaking for the Academy. This governors don't speak for the Academy. Um, and everything that I'm talking about too can be found on the web, on the website. You know, if you wanted to sift through all the things of how these things work um, or come be a member and you can find it out then too. Um, but it is, but it is something that, um, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of the governors are probably thinking the same, the same way. We want to do no harm or we want to continue the really great work that the Academy's doing and 
you know, I think that AI is such a really, we're just in such an interesting time. And AI has actually been around for a while. I mean, it's, you know, we, we use it in our, v, in our visual effects. We use it in lots of other areas that I don't, I'm not even really aware of, to be honest. We've, you know, but, but I, I realize it's also generative AI that we're, we're all sort right. of, you know, kind yes, of thing. Yes. But personally, I'd love to educate myself more about what it is, if, if for anything, to keep my enemies closer. But, <laughs> but you know, just but just so you know, you know, like, and you know what? I think it could also be a useful tool. Right. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be a thoughtful thing. It could be a very useful tool. And who doesn't want that? <laughs> you yeah. know, we just don't know right now, and that's the scary thing is we don't know what direction it's going to. Yes, yes. Well, I, I hope that you'll keep in touch with us and let us know when <laughs> the governors have decided <laughs> and when the academies decided what what their standards are going to be with AI, because I think everybody is feeling kind of a little bit excited and trepidatious at the same time. I think, yeah, really yeah. do. Well, Sherry, this has been so wonderful to chat with you. I have just so enjoyed. Just hearing your stories, hearing all about your your wonderful work on the creative side and on helping your fellow composers. As we finish up, do you have any other advice that you haven't mentioned yet that you'd like to give to aspiring musicians? Yeah, I do. You know what I, uh, I I've got like one little soundbite that, but then I actually wanted to say something else that's a little bit sounding a little <laughs> more encouraging. But do the work, don't be a jerk, you know. And and so, and but that more goes for like you know when you're on a project, it's like just. Do the work, like be, you know, be humble. Just do, do what your job is. Do what you, do what your art is. Do what your craft is, and 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 don't be mean. You know, we don't have to be egotistical about it. And then I will say this on a on a more positive way: if you're wanting to get into the film and television industry, there's room for everybody. It's an exciting, fulfilling career. But I will say it's also one of service. It is not about your ego. It is not about what you want to write. It is about what you want to write, but it's what you want to write within parameters that are given and at the very least had a conversation about by your people who are who are hiring, you know. But I will say that if if you're if you're out there and wanting and you're just like, how the heck do I even get into it? How do I break into it? It's both harder and easier, in in my opinion, than it was when I started. You know, again, I I went the education route, and because of that, I was I was sort of delivered into a system. That doesn't mean I didn't have to hustle, but I started out as an assistant. Then I then I went on as 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 an orchestrator. And then I went on as an additional writer. And then I was starting to gain visibility. And then I was able to get more and more projects that people had heard of. I was always getting projects, but no one's no one, no one had heard of them, you know. But student films. I mean, there's always people who are needing music. There's always people who are needing music, you know. And start start small. It's not too late. It's never too early. I think. Um, and I would also say that you, you do have to have some patience. You have to have a lot of patience and you have to have a lot of persistence and you have to have a lot of luck. I mean, I don't think we should discount that it is, it, the timing is, is a lot, is everything. But all this to say, try and get involved with anybody who might be needing music, whether, even if it's not to picture, you know, get get used to working with somebody who want, who's giving you a direct mm. like a direction, you know, saying, hey, my, my kid is in preschool and they're putting on a play and we really want some music for this. You write music, right? Do you want to do this? It sounds maybe God awful, but you should try it. You should do it if you're wanting, you know what I'm saying? Because your ability to work with somebody and collaborate and say, hey, I want music and it needs to be in the style of, and we have this story and then we need to actually pause the music here because then we need to have this and then we need to have really crazy music while the kids get changed or something. I mean, you would not believe how important it is to be able to craft your music around parameters that are not ideal, 
or your own, you know, because that that is this industry is a hundred percent about that, about crafting your music around the necessity of something that has nothing to do with music at all, you know. So if you can get involved in any way, shape, or form with somebody who needs music written for something, whether to, whether it's picture or not, you should you should try doing it. And then from there, I promise, good work begets good work. Good word leads to good word. And you get you'll get that other one. You'll get that next one. Oh my gosh, so and so did this. So you and that will happen. And then it will just fire off a chain of events and and then you can even start yeah. steering it better, you know? But get, you know, put up the sail, catch some wind somewhere, you know, and just just start moving. And then you can maybe figure out where you want to move to. Thank you so much for that advice. And thank you so much for your time. It honestly it's been such a joy chatting with you. And I just appreciate you coming and talking with me today. Thank you so much, Christine. I really appreciate it. And thank you for the great questions. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today on the Musicians vs. the World podcast in our conversation with composer Sherry Chung. If you're interested in learning more about Sherry's composition work or her work as governor of the music branch of the Television Academy, you can find more information on her website, sherrychung.com or the Television Academy's website, emmys.com. In this episode, you've heard excerpts from Sherry's project, HBO Max and Amblin's animated series, Gremlins, Secrets of the Mogwai. I'll list all of these links in our show notes on our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. It is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. You can also find a video version of this interview on our Musicians vs. the World YouTube channel. If you have any questions for us, topics you'd like to hear about, or any helpful advice for other musicians that you'd like to share, be sure to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.